Today on Hardwired. Do you believe God's sovereign over everything? What does sovereign mean? Well, you say, he is a sovereign. What do you mean by that? He's a king. You call somebody a sovereign who is a king. That is, who rules over a kingdom. And the Bible concept of sovereignty is God rules over everything in the universe. You're listening to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. It's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and hear about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference as it's hardwired into your life, your relationships, and your future. You may be stuck in traffic or maybe even stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help you get on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. And if for any reason you have to break away before the end of the program, you can always catch it at our website, hardwired.org. That's hardwired.org. So let's go ahead and get right into today's message. Here's Pastor Jeff to set it up for us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Hardwired. Thank you so very much for joining us. Well, we're going through the book of Revelation on Hardwired. It's been a great series, very informative, very illuminating. And today, we're going to finish up what we saw last time about the seven seals. The Bible says the first judgments that are poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world going through the Great Tribulation is the seven seals. Jesus opens them up. It's powerful. And today, we're going to look at the last three seals and what they mean, what they stand for, and what they're going to do to planet Earth. So without any further ado, let's jump right into this edition of the book of Revelation and the three last seals. All right, this is our fifth time in the book of Revelation. We've already had four sessions. Tonight's the fifth one. And let me just do a little recap, and then we're going to go ahead and, and look tonight at chapters 6 and 7. Now, we closed last time with John's prophecy in chapter 6. Following the opening of the first four seals, literally a quarter of the earth's population is going to perish. Isn't that just something else? That's something to think about. Now, a lot of what the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John tells us is not jump up and shout stuff. It's sobering stuff. It's stuff that makes you want to get ready for the return of Christ. And it, it makes you want to go out and evangelize. Matter of fact, I hope this series moves us to witness to others for Jesus Christ more and more when we see what's coming upon a Christ-rejecting world. Amen? So it's a grim prediction. A quarter of the earth's population, we saw that would be about 2 billion people if it happened now, because there's about 8 billion people on the planet. But even more so, when you consider this is only the beginning of God's judgments on a Christ-rejecting, ungodly world that doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. These end-time judgments have been predicted all throughout Scripture. I could read so many verses from the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, but I'm going to read one from the Psalms. David the psalmist wrote of what is coming, Psalms 96, verse 13, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Isn't that amazing? Because that's messianic. That's David predicting the return of Christ. And so it is as the revelation unfolds, we now have 
three more seals that the Lord Jesus himself is going to break open and it's gonna unleash cosmic chaos with signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And can I say again, God is in charge of all of it. And we need not blink at the judgments of God or say, how could God do that? I was listening to Billy Graham this week. I I have the Billy Graham channel on my satellite because to me, nobody preached like Billy. I just love Billy Graham's messages. And he made a statement. He said, if you did away with the judgments of God in the Bible, you would do away with most of the Bible. Jesus said, (laughs) right? But it's true. If you do away with the judgments of God in the Bible, you do away with most of the Bible because the Bible is full of the judgments of God. Now, before we look at the next three seals, I want to briefly recap because you're covering so many things in the Revelation. I want us to be sure we keep up. We've got the pace of it and we're remembering what led to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. So let me recap. In chapter one, when the Revelation begins, John beholds the resurrected, glorified Messiah, and he looks nothing like the Lamb of God, Jesus, when he was on the earth. Eyes like fire, hair like wool, feet like brass, a voice like thunder or the roaring of many waters. He's the glorified Messiah. And in chapter one, John is given the reason for the revelation. He says, he commands him to write the things that had been in the past, the things that were, and the things that were to come. And we shared how the first three chapters had to do with things that had been and the things that are, and the rest of the book is primarily the things that are to come. It's a massively prophetic book. No other religious book in the world dares to predict the future like the Bible. Matter of fact, no other religious book in the world predicts anything. No, they don't, except the Book of Mormon, which they've had to revise and revise and revise and re-revise and pre-revise and re-re-revise because the prophecies that were in it failed, so they had to redo them and redo them. And oops, redo them. But you don't have to redo anything God said in the Bible, okay? It's coming to pass. Now, in chapters two and three, we find Jesus addressing, if you'll remember, seven different churches. And he brings correction to five of them while the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia are not corrected for anything, but they receive only commendations and encouragement. Philadelphia and Smyrna, I wanna be Philadelphia. I wanna be the Philadelphia church. Jesus said to them, you have a little strength and you haven't denied my name. See, Jesus noticed whether or not you denied his name. If you stay true to his gospel, true to who he was. And he said, you didn't deny my name. And so since you have been true to me, I'm gonna be true to you. And I'm going to open a door that no man can close. And it was a door for evangelism. And I'm going to tell you, I believe God for those kinds of doors. Every way that we can get in, we're getting in to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're in a church where you don't ever hear the gospel, you're not in a church. You're in a, you're in a club or some social gathering. If you're in a church, you're going to hear the gospel at least frequently. Come on, everybody. Then in chapters four and five, John writes of an incredible drama unfolding before his eyes. 
And here's what it included, what he saw in chapters four and five, the absolute sovereignty of God over the affairs of men. I want to ask you, do you believe God's sovereign over everything? What does sovereign mean? Well, you say he is a sovereign. What do you mean by that? He's a king. You call somebody a sovereign who is a king, that is who rules over a kingdom. And the Bible concept of sovereignty is God rules over everything in the universe. And the book of Revelation, chapters four and five, show us that before we go into all these severe judgments. And then it shows the absolute earthly authority of Jesus the Messiah, his authority in the earth. It shows the providence of God in the world of tribulation that is coming. It shows the providence of God. God's in charge of it. The devil's not in charge of it. God's in charge of it. The devil's a dog on a leash. You know that, right? He's a dog on a leash. He can't move unless God lets him. And then it also shows endless, awesome worship of the one who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. So John is left totally speechless by what he sees. He's dumbstruck. Then at the beginning of chapter six, we witnessed the opening of the first four seals. We saw this last time. And the dreaded four horsemen of the apocalypse that Hollywood's done so many movies about and we all know about, but they are not a good thing, right? The first horse is white and the rider is Antichrist, entering upon the stage of history. The second horse is red and it's the horse of war. And it's granted to that horse to take peace away from the earth. The third horse is black, and it is the horse bringing worldwide famine. The fourth horse is pale, and it's the horse of plague and death, and it's granted to this one to wipe out one quarter of Earth's population. Those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and they begin to ride in Revelations 6, after we see this beautiful scene of worship and God being in control of all things, he wants us to see that and know that before these judgments begin to fall. Now remember, there were seven seals, but the horsemen of the apocalypse are only the first four. We still have three to go. So let's look at these three seals. When the fifth seal is opened, the focus shifts from dreadful scenes happening on earth to a moving site in heaven where an altar is seen, all right? So this is what happens in the book of Revelation. John is taken from earth to heaven, from earth to heaven, earth to heaven. He is shown what's gonna be coming upon the earth and he watches it happen as if in real time. And then he is taken up into heaven and shown things that we would never know about if John had not written what he saw. Now, the fifth seal is open. What does he see? He's taken up into heaven. Well, the fifth seal is exclusively devoted to a vast number of martyrs crying out for justice and God assuring them that judgment is coming on those who slaughtered them. So I want you to notice now, this is the fifth seal. No judgment is being poured out. We're just given a view of part of what is going on in heaven. He says in verse nine, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain. Why were they slain? Because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. These people were killed when push came to shove and they were pointing guns at them or swords at them and saying, renounce your faith or we kill you. These are people 
that allowed themselves to be killed. These are the martyrs for their testimony. All they did was say, I believe in Jesus. That's what it says. They're killed for their testimony of Jesus. And we find them under an altar. They called out in a loud voice, how long sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Verse 11, then each of them was given a white robe. That means righteousness. And they were told to wait a little bit longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. And just as the blood of sacrificial animals in the Old Testament times was poured at the bottom of an altar, so the souls of those who have given their lives for God are also presented under an altar. Before Pastor Jeff comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple of important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, hardwired.org. You'll find today's program along with all of Pastor Jeff's messages. There's a growing list of great things to check out at the site. So hop on over and check it out, hardwired.org. That's hardwired.org. And be sure to tell your friends about the program. We know you're being blessed by it. I'm sure your friends will be as well. We're here to reach as many people for the Lord as we can. So getting the word out will help us on this mission. And that's what this program is all about. And Pastor Jeff's back now for the conclusion of today's program. In chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, we, we note that one of the elders around the throne says, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And here's what they're told. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. How many of you are so thankful? Nothing can make you white and clean but the blood of the lamb. Amen? The blood of the lamb. So the angel identifies who they are. Now I want you to notice something. The angel doesn't tell them those that have come out of a great tribulation. No, he uses the definite article, the calling it the great tribulation. These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. So we assume here that these are people who have gone through the one and only great tribulation that is just clearly revealed to us in the book of Revelation. And Jesus and many others prophesied of its coming. These are called tribulation saints. These are people who were saved during the tribulation. They weren't in the rapture. They were saved and will be saved during the great tribulation. And I'm going to show you how in just a moment. And they want to know how long it's going to be before their blood is avenged by God. And we're told that God knew exactly to the T, right down to the last one who would be martyred before he released his vengeance on those that killed them. You know, folks, let me tell you, I probably shouldn't, but I watch the news, not the secular news, but I read a lot of what's going on in the world. And I read a lot of what's happening to churches around the world. I want to keep my finger on the pulse of churches because I'm a church and I want to know what's going on in churches elsewhere. And I can tell you, persecution fever is rising. Things that you can't believe are happening. I heard a man being interviewed on the radio and he was talking about being arrested for preaching Christ. And he began to tell the host of the show what was done to him. And he said, I was put into solitary confinement. 
I was stripped of all my clothes. I was put into a solitary confinement cell that was freezing cold. There was no cot, no mattress, no pillow, nothing. I was constantly questioned. I was harassed. I was mocked by the guards. I went through this for a couple of weeks for simply preaching Christ. Then the guards came and took me and said, you're being moved. They gave me a little something to put on and they took me and they put me in a mental institution. And in this mental institution, I was questioned and I was analyzed and I was probed and I was harassed and I was mocked. And even one of the psychiatrists eventually there in this place said to me, why are you here? There's really nothing wrong with you. And he said, the reason I'm here is for preaching Christ. He said, after a couple of weeks in this mental institution where I was treated terribly, I was taken out, stripped of my clothes again, and put back in that solitary confinement cell where I stayed for more weeks with nothing to sleep on, freezing cold, shivering, sick. Finally, they came and they told me I was free to go but they told me they would be tracking me and following me and gauging my activities from then on. I'm listening to this and I'm going, wow. Then the host said this. Those of you that are listening to this program, I'm gonna tell you where this happened. Some of you are thinking it happened in the Soviet Union. Some of you are thinking it happened in North Korea. Some of you are thinking it happened in some other communistic country somewhere in the world. No, this happened in Canada, Canada, on our border. And when I heard that, I almost pulled over because I thought, look how close, because Canada used to be a reflection of us. And now look how close they are to total communism. I am sorry, but that's the way it looks to me, to socialism for sure. But look how this man was persecuted in Canada, how he was treated. How far is that from here? I don't know. That is, how close are we to that kind of thing, the potential for it coming down here? Don't know. But here we see tribulation saints, people that were saved during the tribulation saying, when will you avenge us? I'll avenge you when the very last one is martyred that I know is going to be martyred, then I'm going to avenge you. But God does bring vengeance and God help the people that persecute the church. God help the people that persecute God's people. God help those who do those kinds of things to a man like this. It was an old man. And they did this to him. All right, then when the sixth seal is broken, the scene shifts back to earth with the sight. Now he goes from heaven, now back down to earth. And he, he's greeted with the sight. This is a vision unfolding before John. He's receiving an open vision from the Lord Jesus Christ showing him what is gonna come to the earth. And he's greeted with the sight of massive cataclysms, chaos and confusion befalling much of the world at this stage of future history. John sees cosmic chaos unleashed. Now remember, these events that we're reading about right now are taking place in the first three and a half years of a seven-year tribulation period. This is the first three and a half years. This is not the second half when it's way worse. It's the first half. <laughs> but saying that, look what goes on in the first half. Let's read verse 12, chapter six. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. Remember, Jesus opened it. And there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. Now look what's happening 
in the sky. First, you got the sun. It is totally eclipsed. It turns black like sackcloth. Then the whole moon turns red, blood red. And then you got the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. Verse 14, the sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Can I, can I read that again? Every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is cataclysmic. If you pause to consider what we're actually reading here, um, it's almost unimaginable. But this is what John saw. Now, folks, let me tell you something. The Bible predicted many things that have come to pass now that when people read them before they came to pass, they said, that's impossible. That will never happen. And they always happen just like the Bible said. So though this may seem impossible, unimaginably incomprehensible, it's not. I mean, start with this one. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Before that had happened, people read that and went, well, that must be metaphorical. That doesn't really mean what it says. Oh, but yes, it did. Because a virgin conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. And that which was conceived in her was the very son of God begotten. Right? So the earth, says John, is going to be violently shaken. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. This passage confirms what Isaiah the prophet also predicted, just to show you that these heavy prophecies are repeated often in the Bible. Isaiah 13, 13, therefore I will shake the heavens, says God, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of when, everyone, his fierce anger. And again, Isaiah 2, verse 19, Look what will happen. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Now, it's ironic that this picture of men hiding among the rocks and, and, um, and in the caves is exactly what John predicts in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, which we're gonna read in just a moment. Same thing. We see that during the great tribulation, killer earthquakes are going to rock the planet. It could very well be that a worldwide blackout will occur as a result of volcanic and seismic disturbances when ash is spewed into the sky. That's just conjecture, but that could be why the sun goes dark. And there'll be an awesome reddening of the moon as when a total eclipse occurs. The prophet Joel predicted, and we all know this one, the moon will be turned into blood. But this is not referring to the blood moons we've lately heard so much about. It's not that. This is a one-time occurrence during the Great Tribulation. The moon, you'll look up at it, and it will look blood red. And ash from volcanoes can do that. Just conjecture. But it could be that. Joel says it'll take place before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, which means the day of God's judgment and the day of Christ's return. Jesus, the same Jesus that gave John the book of Revelation, remember, same one, said in Matthew 24, 29, before he was crucified, he said, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. The phrase heavenly bodies is uranos. 
and it means the visible heavens or the atmosphere. The earthly atmosphere will be shaken, deeply troubled and agitated during this time of the Great Tribulation. To me, it seems to suggest that meteors, possibly asteroids and other uh, interplanetary matter slam into the earth. Unlike the ones we sometimes see streaking across the sky, make a wish, oh, there's a shooting star, make a wish real quick before it goes away. No, uh, these will strike the ground. That's what he's saying. You've been listening to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire. It would mean the world to us to know how the program has helped you today. So take a quick minute and give us a call, 877-884-3111. Or you can connect with us at our website, hardwired.org. And if you enjoy the program as much as we love bringing it to you, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us. There are daily costs associated with the program, and we truly do depend on the faithful financial support of our listeners like you to allow us to be on this station. So please consider partnering with us today with your gifts to this ministry. You can call us at 877-884-3111 or go to the website hardwired.org. Again, call 877-884-3111 or at our website hardwired.org. Thank you for your loyal partnership as we couldn't do this without you. And finally, Pastor Jeff is the founder and senior pastor of the vibrant Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. If you're ever in the area, we hope you'll stop by and say hi. And let us know that you listen to the program. That would really make our day. And Pastor Jeff would love to meet you personally too. So till next time, have a great day. And thanks so much for listening to Hardwired.